This is week number 44. Why tell God anything when he knows everything? Why offer God anything when he has everything? I'm reading from Rays of the One Light, weekly commentaries on the Bible and Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Jesus Christ teaches as the ideal prayer that one addresses very human demands to God. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus himself says, just before suggesting this prayer, Your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask Him. Why then His recommendation that we pray for anything? The answer is that we should offer ourselves up in acceptance of His abundance. Don't pester God as though pulling constantly on His sleeve to get attention. Approach Him with the confidence of a child and His parent. And in that spirit then, ask Him lovingly, but with complete trust, as though demanding your birthright, and without the slightest doubt in your mind that he wants only your best. For you don't have to persuade him the way a beggar or a stranger might. You are his own child. God knows everything already. He knows what is in your heart. It is you who need to clarify your feelings, that you attune yourself to him in turn more clearly. For only by such clarity will you be able to receive him perfectly of what he gives you. For the same reason, we need to offer ourselves to him, not because he needs anything from us, except, as Yogananda said, our love to complete his love for us, but because by self-giving, we expand our awareness from his confinement in the little ego outward toward infinity. Those who partake of the nectar of after his sacrifice, says the Bhagavad Gita in the fourth chapter, attain to the infinite spirit. That person, however, who makes no sacrifices, never truly succeeds enjoying even the blessings of this material world. How then could he attain happiness in subtler realms? Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh, oh. everyone. Nice to see you. My name's Durga. This is my husband, Vidura. As most of you know, some of you don't. So, here we go. <laughs> I want to start with a reading from Whispers from Eternity, Yogananda's extraordinary book of prayer, demands, and prayers. The breeze of thy love wafts through me, O Father. Leaves on my tree of life tremble gently in response to thy coming. My soul blossoms have begun to awaken. The rustling murmur of my thought leaves whispering in the ether calls to all matter-weary beings to come rest in the shade of my peace received from thee. 
Reminds me a little bit of the meditation retreat. I saw Charles earlier. He's usually out there. Hi, Charles. And uh, he has created extraordinary gardens at the meditation retreat. If you haven't been there recently, please come. This is quite a reading today, and I am only going to get to talk a little bit about part of it because it's so vast in its implications. We've been talking lately about prayer. I think we have another week or so to talk about prayer. And I think the reason for that is that both the Bible, the Bhagavad Gita, and therefore Master and Swamiji have put a lot of importance into the right kind of prayer. There's lots of prayers. He mentions here about don't pray like a beggar. How many of us, as we go about our prayers, are praying because we feel a lack. We don't have the health we want. We don't have the possessions we want. We might not have the friends we want. We might not have the family we want. We might, there's a lot of things that might be lacking or think that it's lacking in our lives. And very often prayers are for something that we want to draw in from the outside to make us complete. And what Swami and Master are saying is, You have everything. We have everything already within us. And all we have to do is know that. In the uh, essence essence of self-realization, Swamiji gives the quote that Master gave of the definition of self-realization is the knowing in in all parts of body, mind, and soul that we are in possession of the kingdom of God. We don't have to pray that it come to us. It is ours already. And all we have to do is increase our knowing. That struck me especially strongly today when I was reading the word know. It's a very strong word, isn't it? Know thyself. It reminds me of St. Anthony when he comes out and tells people, I have seen him. Extraordinary power that comes through his voice. That's how I feel about this. The knowing, when you know something, it's so strong, it's so powerful, it's so rich, and it's so satisfying when you absolutely know a truth of yours. Swamiji tells in the new path this amazing dream that he had when he was in college and he was in a torture chamber. Those of you who read the path know this story, but it's a wonderful one. He tells that he was dreaming he was in a torture chamber and he was with all his friends and relatives and they were in a torture chamber and they spent their whole lives in the torture chamber and some days were better than others and some days not so much torture and other days quite a lot of torture but that's all they knew and so they never questioned it they were just in this reality but at some point Swamiji thought, because it would be Swamiji, you know. Swamiji thought, there might be something else in life than this. I wonder if there is. And so he gathered his friends together and they started talking about, I wonder if there's something else. And then they realized that they didn't have to be tortured every day. What were they doing? And so they got together and they slayed their torturers. That was pretty easy. And then they 
went out of the door, but they were a little bit scared because they thought these armies of torturers were going to be out there to greet them. But lo and behold, no one was there. So they went down the steps and they kept going down and down. They realized that they had been on the top of this very high building. And they looked in all these rooms and there was nobody there. It was just empty. And so they went down, they went down, they got to the bottom, they went outside, nothing there. Just a big plain. And they had this huge sense of freedom. And then they looked up where they were, and lo and behold, there are their torturers going about their daily duty of torturing other people. And it was stunning. How could they be there when they had been killed? And then Swamiji realizes, even in the dream, that the, the torture chamber is our minds. And the torturers are our mental tendencies, our mental hang-ups, what keeps us sort of going, if you will. And he woke up, and he realized he had been given a very, very special dream, a very special gift. And he had been searching, if you know Swamiji's life at all, Swami Kriyananda, if his life at all, he spent his whole life searching for something to bring him happiness. He didn't know what it was. He didn't know if it was a person or a thing or anything. Eventually, he realized it was a consciousness, but he didn't know what this was. But he had an inkling that it had something to do with letting go and killing those things that were holding him back. And he says that he always sort of imagined God as something to think about. So we would think, you know, what could he be? What could he do? And he would just think, what is God? What is God? What is God? He never imagined at that point in his life that God was a reality of love that he could commune with, that he could talk to, that he could bring into his life as his very own, his very best friend, his beloved, this being that was going to answer every question he ever had. But he ends by saying, I never asked. Isn't that interesting? I never asked. I just kept wondering with my mind, what is it? And that is the point of this reading, part of this reading today. We have to ask, not because God doesn't know, He knows everything. But we need to clarify what it is that we are searching. We need to clarify what it is that makes us tick. We need to know that God is all loving and he's there for us every moment of our lives. And it's an extraordinary understanding. In the reading, in the affirmation today, Swamiji links these two with the affirmation of acceptance. Extremely important. Because if we can accept, as Swamiji says, if you can accept the fact that acceptance is important, then everything else just is okay. It's acceptable. Everything's acceptable. When we know that we're in God's hands, when we know that he wants the very, very best for us. But when these trials come, when these tests come, you know, we look at our, probably most of us, look at our, at least 
part of our lives, we can say, I'm not really that bad of a person. I'm, I have this at least one quality that's good. Why did that happen to me? Why did he do that to me? Why did God give that to me? What was it that I had to go through? We can look back on our lives from the time we were born. And there's probably something we didn't like so much. We didn't like our parents. We didn't like our brothers and sisters. We didn't like the situation we were in. We were poor. We were too rich. Something was wrong with our lives. But you know, it's very important to accept that because even holding on to it a tiny bit, why do we hold on to those little parts that are negative in our lives? Why do we say, why me? What is that? It feeds us in some way, doesn't it? It feeds us. But we have to let it go. In that letting go, in the cutting of those strings that are around our hearts, And there's one affirmation where we're soaring like a balloon, you know, that one. It's just a beautiful image, but we have to cut the cords that bind us. In that freedom, in that knowing that if we didn't have that background, if we didn't have those parents and those siblings and that situation, we would not be here today. Our karmas are perfectly carved out for us. So for us to say, well, he has it, or she didn't have to go through that, or why me, we're negating what God has given us to get to him. So it's extremely important to accept everything. And in that acceptance, you will find this freedom in your heart that you have never experienced before. And I speak of this from experience. It's not like I'm reading it and telling you. I'm, I know that to be true. It's very, very important. What, there's this reading I, want, oops, a reading I want to share with you from Swamiji, from uh, Promise of Immortality. The blissful Lord is never indifferent to us, nor to our needs. He is compassionate to us in our grief, but he awaits us in the light. Isn't that beautiful? He awaits us in the light. He's compassionate. He gives us things. He helps us. But what he really wants is us to come into the light, to find him there. For there alone lies salvation from suffering. To receive him, we must seek him within in deep inner communion. The dark corners we conceal in ourselves recoil uncomprehendingly from the merest flicker of light. It's sort of like Yeah, they're there. The dark corners are there. And it's that little part of us that wants to sort of hold on to that because maybe we want people to feel sorry for us or maybe we want to feel sorry for ourselves or whatever it is. But you turn on that light and you turn it on and you turn it on and you get that flicker of light. If we would free ourselves from the dire fears and colossal sufferings, as the Gita calls them, of human existence, we must open the hidden chambers of our hearts to the purifying rays of God's light. Concealing nothing from him, we must pray unceasingly, I am thine alone. So how do we open that light? How do we get to that? How do we open our hearts? How do we come in to that light? Well, one way is we know meditation. And I'm not going to talk a lot about it because we talk a lot about it. And we know how important it is. 
but Kriya, why did uh, Lahiri say, solve all your problems through Kriya? You know, I mean, I've been doing Kriya, and I don't know if all my problems have been solved. So is that a problem with Lahiri's message? No, that's a problem with me. But what Kriya does is that those little vrittis, those little desires, those little things that hold us back, they're there, they're lodged, and sometimes they're lodged really tightly. And we've been trying all these years to unlodge them, and we will, and we are, and we're getting closer. But when we can release them, and you'll know, it creates like a cleansing in our spine that draws God's grace it's almost like, okay, now those blocks are gone. Now I can come up your spine. I can cleanse you. And that grace descends down upon us as well. It's very important. Kriya or any meditation, Kriya specifically, it's one of the highest meditations we teach here. But just starting, putting one foot in front of the other, I told people recently when I came to Ananda, I was on another path. I was all upset because how could this be my path? And I was loyal and how could I be disloyal? And just with this whole thing. And <laughs> what we do to ourselves. And then this very wise soul said to me, Durga, you understand that all the masters, all the saints, bring you to your next step. They work together. There's no rivalry. They all work together. So, you know, if you can't be on this path anymore, which is really all one, isn't it? It's a little bit different way of doing it. It's okay. He doesn't care. He just wants you to go where you're going to find God. And so Master held me at that point. And it was fine. And I felt so good. Because I knew in my heart that that was true. I knew that I had found my path. And that's what they do. That's what the masters do. They're all helping together. They don't care. They don't care what path you're on. Just go inside and know it's in there. He's there. He's waiting for you to understand that. The other thing I want to talk a little bit about is affirmation. And affirmation, as we're told, isn't wishful thinking. It's not just sitting here and, like I was saying, with purification and wishing things were other than they are. That's just not going to do it for us. And maybe we spent a lot of years doing that, wishing things were different. But we didn't have the tools. We didn't have the knowledge to know how to change, how to make that change, how to get inside and make it dynamic. And so we're giving the tools, affirmation. And affirmation is much more than, it's very powerful. It's the power of knowing that God is there already. I am strong. I am well. I am a child of God. Those are all true. And the more we can do that, the more, you know, as we go through our lives and we think all the time, maybe unfortunately, but it's always, we're always thinking but that, those thoughts and that thinking can become a prayer. Watch your thoughts. See what you're thinking. See how you're reacting to other people. See how those thoughts put, put actions into motion. And see if, that, if you can really feel God in everything you think and everything you do. 
that affirmation of purity, that affirmation that he is there. Many of you know that Vidura and I have been at the meditation retreat for about three months now. And when we first got there, I asked Brinde, my saint, resident saint, one of many actually. We don't have many, but one of a few. Um, I asked Brinde if she would come up with an affirmation for the, the meditation retreat. And I think this is, I'm right in saying that she sat down to meditate and just flooded her brain with this affirmation I want to share with you. Great gurus, say I'm going to cry. Every time I think of this affirmation, I'm so moved because I know it's from God. So just, maybe you should close your eyes and then. (laughs) Great gurus, master Swamiji, because your light has blessed this land, we are now being sent everyone and everything that is needed to fulfill the highest purpose for your holy meditation retreat. Simple, powerful, absolutely right on. And I absolutely tell you, and I'm a big one on telling the truth. I'm not making this up. Every single day, there's a miracle at the meditation retreat. Whether we draw people we need, whether we draw funds, whether we draw guests, whether we draw, you know, furniture. Oh my gosh, I have to tell you a story. (laughs) Some of you know this, but it's really a great story. So, I don't know, a couple months ago, maybe, whenever you probably know, there's a little, we had thought about, God, we have this, and we have this, and we have this, and we were trying not to get in the carping spirit, but we knew there were things we had to do to make it more uplifting. And Master had to give them to us because we didn't necessarily have the money, but we knew the money was there, so it had to come. So we thought, well, instead of wishful thinking, we'll make it dynamic. Well, the power of words, the power of the written words, the power of the spoken words, we knew about that. So we put a little ad in the villager, Ananda Meditation Wish List. All of you probably saw that. And there were curtains, and there were dressers, and there were chairs. There might have been a couch. There were lots of things we needed. And by the end of the week, oh, and then we needed a freezer, but Charles says, don't put in freezer because we have to have a specific freezer. Just say how much money it's going to cost to get the freezer. Okay. So we put $700 for a new freezer. So at the end of the week, we had everything we had asked for except the freezer. So Vidura and I went off to Palo Alto and we came back and there was a check in our mailbox for $1,000. And Vidura said, great, now I can pay bills. And I said, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. I think it's for the freezer. (laughs) And Vidura said, no, I'm sure it's for the bills. (laughs) So I said, well, let me find out. So I called this person and his wife answered the phone. And I didn't want to just say, you know, what did you give the money for? So I just said, oh, thank you so much. We really needed this and da-da-da-da. And then she said, you know, my husband saw that ad in the villager. And didn't you need a freezer or something? (laughs) Yes. Yes. But then... 
Charles, only Charles could do this. He took the money. He went to town and that freezer that he wanted, that he knew we needed because we have all these special needs up there, had been, was on sale. So we got the freezer for $500 and I gave the other $500 to my daughter. (laughs) (laughs) But isn't that the sweetest thing? It's just like, if you know that it's right and it's good and you want to help people, then God wants you to do that. He always wants you to do that. It's very, very beautiful. And then, so I won't go on too long. In that positive thinking, in that positive affirmation, I have to tell you the story about Vadur's mom. You get a lot of stories of Vadur's mom because she's an unusual woman. <laughs> but um, those of you who don't know Vadur's mother, she, Vadur was raised a Jehovah's Witness and at some point in his teenage years, he left the church. And so when he left the church, he was basically, in their minds, pretty much condemned. And um, so when we would be with them, we wouldn't bring up religion. Because I did once, and I didn't do it anymore. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, Vadura and his mother loved each other. They still love each other very much. But there was always that... Ah, you know, if only, and Federa kept saying, but she loves God, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter. She loves God, doesn't matter what she thinks, where she thinks I'm going. And um, so anyway, then she got dementia. And watching her going through this stage, she just got sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. It's like those mental tendencies were starting to fall away and everything that she was holding on to, I don't know if she didn't remember or she just, it wasn't important anymore. So I went to see her. We went to see her about a month ago. And uh, we never, remember, we never really talked about religion, but she came up to me, my, my, she calls me Sally. She comes up to me and she takes my hand in her face and she says, you know what, Sally? I said, what? We're going to die one day. And one of us is going to say to the other one, I told you so. (laughs) (laughs) It was fabulous. Fabulous. I was so... And I just laughed. I said, yeah, Mavis, one of us is going to tell the other. (laughs) So she broke her hip. Last week, she has lung cancer now. She just broke her hip for the second time. She's 92. There's a lot of things she could be a little bit sad about. We went to see her in the hospital, and she had just come out of surgery. And she was a little rummy, but she was right there. And I said, how are you doing, Mavis? I'm well, she said. You know, Sally, (laughs) she says, I wake up, I'm well, and I go to sleep, I'm well. I said, how are you now? I'm well, she says. (laughs) This is the attitude. This is what we want. I am well. I am strong. There was a, a very dear friend of ours some years ago who was dying of cancer, and she took a trip over to see Swamiji in India, I believe, and she shouldn't have made that trip by everyone else's standards. She was 
you know, not very long to live. And she, by God, she was going to go. And she came back and she was with him every day that week. And at the very end of her stay with him, he said to her, Vairagi, be positive and thank Divine Mother for what you have, everything you have. And she took that as like her mantra. And later she came back and she wasn't able to walk to the bathroom, but she could crawl to the bathroom. And her caregivers would say, so told us later, she said, all the way there, she was saying, thank you, Divine Mother. Thank you, Divine Mother. Thank you, Divine Mother. What a way to go in that joy of knowing that it's all coming from God, that prayer that keeps us so tied in to God and knowing every single thing is a gift from him. God bless you.